guys welcome to the everything went black podcast before we get rolling i just want to thank the newest member of the patreon crew charles ordino for pledging and um, i really appreciate it and for those of you who are not familiar with what patreon is it's the way i kind of keep the lights on here and um, it's a way of funding some of the various projects and equipment upgrades i'm hoping to uh, accomplish over the next few months um, one of the things I actually funded with it was uh, this trailer, which I keep talking about, and um, hasn't isn't quite ready for viewing, but I may make available uh, some of the audio interview. Uh, I might make that available for some of the Patreon members, and um, yeah, the, the trailer is uh, hopefully for a show that is going to become a regular thing, and uh, it features an interview with Vegas Tenold, author metal fan and all-around cool guy uh, his work has appeared in Rolling Stone as well as other legit magazines I mean he's not a hack like me who only has writing that appears on music blogs um, but yeah he's like a legit journalist and um, he embedded himself in the midst of this white nationalist group prior to the night uh, the t- prior to the 2016 elections and uh, he wrote a book called Everything You Love Will Burn. I read it. It was very powerful, and I highly recommend it. So anyway, we have a you know a piece that we shot with me interviewing him, kind of going over some of that material. And um, in the uh, spirit of just keeping things moving, I think I might make that some of that audio available for Patreon members to listen to before we officially release the pilot. Uh, for those of you who've never worked in film or done anything like that, it's a very arduous, long-winded task to try to get all this stuff done, as I'm learning. Like I said that, uh, I didn't want to lead anyone to believe that I'm um, a uh, you know experienced filmmaker or anything like that. Though I have been on set, and I do understand some of the things that go into making video and films, I am by no means an expert. But trust me, it takes a long time to get everything edited, you know, the pacing right. To get B-reel, uh, B- to get B-roll, and um, just make things, uh, you know, sort of flow in a cohesive manner. So with this episode, uh, there's no guest. Um, sorry, uh, I, as as I mentioned in the last episode, I've been very busy working on the forthcoming Gimme Radio podcast. 
Um, they've brought me in to host the title of the new podcast is Metal Matters. Um, and it's going to be dropping November 13th. So keep an eye out for it. Um, it'll be available on iTunes, Spotify, like Stitcher, you know, Google Play, like all, all the, the, you know, the places you would imagine you'd find a podcast. And uh, as it stands right now, I have about eight episodes in the can, which is going to be about two months of material out there. They're going to be weekly episodes. So um, they're going to be released on Tuesdays. And uh, yeah, so it's a lot of, a lot of material. And um, a good portion of the summer was spent working on that. So that's why I've been relatively absent for the last couple of months just kind of posting episodes here and there for everything went black and necromaniacs. And um, so both of those, both of those shows are going to be uh, in full swing over the next few weeks. Uh, Mike and I are going to be recording another necromaniacs in a couple of days. You know, it's October, man, which is, you know, that's, that's Halloween, man. You know, we're a horror podcast, Halloween, got to have an episode out there. So uh, any of, any of you out there who listen to that show, uh, there'll be an episode by the week's end. So keep an eye out for that. If you haven't listened to Necromaniacs, check it out. Necromaniacs podcast. You can uh, stream it on the Everything Went Black site or you can find it on iTunes. So and also if you're um, interested in supporting the show via Patreon, if you go to everythingwentblackmedia.com, there's a pop up that will take you to the Patreon and um, you can pledge as little as $1. You can join and unjoin at any given time. You know, there's no commitment uh, to giving money every, every month. But um, I can just tell you guys that I really appreciate it. This stuff is not free. There's things like bandwidth, failing equipment, and just, um, you know, basic everyday expenses that I goes into making this show happen. So, uh any, any support is appreciated. And those of you out there who do support, I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, what you get in, in exchange for that is uh, free content. There's a bunch of stuff that I've made available for free. Um, I'm going to be, once again, trying to stick to the schedule of putting up uh, something new every month. That is a Patreon-only episode. So it'll be premium content available just for subscribers. So that's something that you guys can enjoy. Um, and I'm going to try to get more more perks out there to you guys. Uh, right now, just things are a little little chaotic right now with just a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, you know, this new gig with, with Gimme is uh, taking up a lot of my time and efforts. So just hang in there, and um, you know, I'll be I'll be back in full effect. For those of you out there who are patrons, for those of you out there who are customers of Savage Gold, we have the Savage Gold Witch's Brew that's for sale right now. And um, I got to say, man, slammed with orders. So this just adds to the chaos. And I applaud all of you who have ordered and who have not received your coffee yet for uh, the patience that you're displaying. And um, just hang in there a little bit more. You'll be, you guys will be getting your coffee soon, I promise. Uh, just keep in mind that a lot of this is a small batch roasted to order. So it might take a little bit, but when you get this coffee, it will have been roasted within days of you receiving it. So it's all done with love, and I appreciate the support with Savage Gold.
but um, you know, please just hang in there. We'll get it out to you guys. And um, you know, I, I, pr- I apologize for any delays that have been experienced through this uh, crazy season right now. But you know, we've been um, hit with a bunch of orders, and uh, that's a good thing. You know, unfortunately, running this on a very small, you know, skeleton crew. A skeleton crew of basically just me. So trying to get all the bases covered, trying to get stuff out to you guys, and I'm working as hard as I can. So uh, so thanks for bearing with me. Appreciate it. So this episode, uh, you know, next we have the primaries coming up in November. Um, you know, I want to make sure that everyone is aware of that and in the crazy times that we're living in, how important it is for you to go out there and vote. And I know everyone's like, well, you know, I don't believe in the system. They might take this cynical viewpoint of everything's fucked. I don't believe in the system. Uh, You know, why vote? It doesn't make a difference. Um, You know, I don't care. You know, I want to see how this chaos unveils. And uh, that might work in different times, but I think that we're faced with an incredible challenge to our humanity in this country. And um, though you might not believe in the system, and I'm not saying the system even is fair or works or is not corrupt, I believe that we are living within a corrupt system, and I'll explain why, because I have a very good example to show you that we live in a corrupt political system. I'll get to that soon. But you have to try. And in other countries, and even in this country, people have died for the right to vote, you know? It wasn't too long ago that women weren't even granted the right to vote. So now that we all have the right to vote, it's a privilege and our civic duty to go out there and and do it, for better or for worse. Whether you believe in it or not, at least you tried. At least you you, you can tell yourself that you've tried to participate in this flawed system that we're all living with. And that you're just not standing on the sidelines. So, um, you know, I used, I used to, back in the 90s, you know, I was like a fuck the system kind of guy. And like, yeah, I don't really believe in voting. I don't really care. But, you know, I realized that in this day and age, you have to care. You have to take responsibility. And the election of Donald Trump in the 2016 elections displayed to me that we're not represented properly by not voting. You know, the Republicans and the conservative people are one of the things they're great at is organizing. Organizing, getting their shit together, going out there in formation, casting the ballot, planning, figuring out what they got to do to get their man in office and executing the plan. You know, and I think that the Democrats and us us conservatives, I mean, the you know, we progressive thinkers out here can take a cue from that. And that we should try to present a unified front to organize, figure out what we want to change, and execute that plan. So with that said, um, I've recently moved out to the suburbs. I no longer live in Brooklyn, a.k.a. Kings County, at least for the time being. So, um, you know, a couple days ago, I tried to figure out, well, all right, you know, let me, let me update my address. Let me, you know, tell them where I'm at, get a new location to vote, uh, you know, all that kind of business. So I went online and, uh, I went to go update my address and change my district. 
And it turns out that they're, I don't exist in the eyes of the electoral department of this uh, great country we live in. So, I mean, I've voted in, I don't know, man, the last 20, you know, two decades of elections. I've also voted uh, for local politics when I lived in Greenpoint. Um, you know, vote in the primaries. I actually switched to Democrats so I could vote in the primaries, even though I don't 100% agree with the Democrats. So I downloaded a form, I filled it out by hand, and I drove to the, uh, the office where I have to file the paperwork to get my uh, voter registration complete. And I, you know, I showed up. This wonderful lady was manning the desk and asked if she could help me. And I was like, yes, you can help me. I uh, tried to update my uh, voter registration online, and there's no records of me ever voting. So she checked my paperwork. She's like, oh, this is great. You know, everything's in order. Just need your signature here. You're all set. And she asked me if I would um, like to see maybe, you know, possibly what they have on record for me. The only thing they have on record for me is when I left Putnam County over two decades ago to move to New York City, and, and there's no record of me registering to vote in Kings County, which, uh, you know, you hear reports of people being deleted from the system, and I am one of those people who was deleted from the system. And uh, that was quite upsetting. You know, needless to say, uh, I felt this eerie sort of conspiratorial vibe of like, yes, the Republicans are out there trying to get rid of people who don't agree with them. And I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if it could have been just a, a clerical error or whatever, but please be diligent. You know, I know that the, the 12th of October is the deadline in New York state. Some states have passed these deadlines, but please make sure that if you give a fuck and you all should, that you're registered to vote and you show up and vote next month. You know, and um, I'm going to. I'll be there. I'll be representing, you know, doing my thing. You know, in the past couple episodes ago, um, you know, I had Ben from uh, Metal Sucks on and, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, white nationalism and, uh, you know, the sort of Me Too movement and, um, you know, the perceived racism in the metal scene, things like that. And that's all great topics. And earlier this year, I put out an episode criticizing Antifa for, you know, being thugs and just being interested in fucking shit up as opposed to actually doing anything positive. So, in my estimation of things, everybody is playing, you know, wants to be this victim these days. It's like a recreational outrage that a lot of people seem to be enjoying. You know, and now it's social media. Everyone has a platform to voice their opinions, write blog posts, publish articles, all these sorts of things about how unfair the world is, about how they're victims of this system or that system. And, um, you know, how this uh, obscure metal band is uh, are, are Nazis and things like that. That's all well and good to, you know, comment on these things. I think it's important to be able to have a free voice in making commentary. However, a way that you can really make a difference 
is showing up and voting. And I really would like to know how many of these Antifa people have voted in the past and are planning to vote in the future. How many of these bloggists out there are willing to take a break from, uh, you know, drinking coffee at the coffee shop and posting, you know, blog posts and Facebook and Instagram and all this other stuff and mosey on down to their, uh, you know, their voting station and casting their ballot, you know, and that the Republicans are going to show up and do it, you know, and the saddest thing is despite all of this lack of participation of progressives in the electoral system, Donald Trump still did not really win the popular vote. It was those electoral votes that actually got him the presidency. So that's just me riffing. It's Wednesday and, uh, you know, just kind of like projecting, setting up dialogue, talking to you guys. And, uh, you know, that's just my two cents, you know, take it or leave it. But I just think that everyone should try to do a little bit better with this stuff, especially nowadays where everyone's calling each other out. You know, everyone's outraged by certain things. Yeah, I mean, I get it. You know, I'm outraged too. But I want to make a difference, even though there might be futile. It might be, you know, this like, they might throw my ballot out. They might delete me again, whatever. But at least I tried. You know, at least I tried to make a difference. So... You know, I just hope everyone uh, takes this to heart and, um, you know, takes this seriously in this upcoming elect- election season. Now, the next uh, segment, um, we're going to be talking about some knucklehead shit uh, this last week's past UFC. Uh, so if you're not an MMA fan or a fan of combat sports, you might want to tune out. Or you might not, because I'm going to be discussing, I'm going to be discussing certain things that actually correspond with this, uh, you know, vibe of uh, male, white male entitlement that everyone seems to be discussing, uh, you know, these days. Saturday night, Conor McGregor contested the UFC lightweight title against Habib Nurmagomedov, an undefeated Dagestani native who has been a consummate professional throughout his career. For those of you who aren't quite familiar with Conor McGregor, I would uh, urge you to do a Google search. And uh, in the most recent buildup to this fight, he really went across the line in trash talk and, you know, promotion. Habib is a Muslim. Uh, He's Russian or Dagestani rather. Uh, He's not a United States citizen. And uh, McGregor used a lot of this racial sort of, you know, profiles to trash talk Habib and use uh, sort of the mental warfare, which is like a staple of his arsenal to, um, you know, try to get in his head, throw him off his game. Um, Now, you know, in this climate, of sensitivity where there is a very strong anti-Muslim sentiment in this country. That's a very dangerous place to be, I believe. Um, Saturday night, you had a large group of, uh, of people from Russia. I'm sure there are a lot of Dagestanis. 
McGregor always has a legion of Irishmen who fly in and attend his fights. You know, it's it, it basically had all the trappings of a European football match, potentially extreme violence. Apparently, you know, I, I in the week leading up to the fight, I was imagining that some really negative shit was going to happen, like in the in with the fans. You know, like you know, people having drinks, being very passionate about their uh, their fighter, either Connor or Habib, and some riot would break out. I mean, amongst the uh, Connor supporters and the Habib supporters, you know. But what actually happened was, um, you know, Habib kept cool throughout the whole fight, throughout the whole lead up. He didn't really trash talk back for Con- against Connor, who was attacking his family, attacking his religion, attacking his country, and um, you know, it was it was disgusting. I thought I thought that I watched a little bit of the press conference, and I had I just couldn't. I had to like, it just was disgusting me so much that I could I had to turn it off. And normally I enjoy a lot of, you know, the lead up to fights and, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, I'm a huge fan of the sport, you know, a fan of the sport and of the MMA lifestyle. And um, however, I, I feel that MMA is a respect lifestyle, not a lifestyle of slander and racism and xenophobia and all this sort of stuff which i feel like those embers were fanned by mcgregor and his you know ill-advised trash talk citing very complicated political situations within his his rhetoric against habib Nurmagomedov and uh his uninformed opinions about ideologies that he doesn't really have a firm grasp on or, you know, lifestyle situations that exist in Dagestan, you know. And um, I won't go into any details because it's very well documented out there. Um, You know, and Habib won. He beat him decisively with a submission in the fourth round and actually was dominant throughout the entire fight. At the end of the fight, one of uh, McGregor's team teammates uh, said something disparaging to Habib, and he vaulted over the fence. And there's now an iconic photograph circulating on the internet of Habib, you know, front kicking at this particular guy. And uh, for better or for worse, it's an iconic photograph that's probably going to be circulating for years. You know, a big melee in the octagon ensued, and um, you know there was like this big ruckus uh the fans are going crazy um some of Khabib's team uh, you know they came in and there was like some all physical altercations that happened in the ring involving his teammates and McGregor it's uh to this at this time it's exa- it's unclear as to who instigated that that altercation you know there's like proof that McGregor actually you know punched one of his uh, teammates and that's was retaliation but anyway like that act in and of itself i you know isolated from everything else i find to be you know that's definitely not in the spirit of martial arts as i see it um but in the context of the bigger picture of humiliation tactics and the use of racism and xenophobia to sell a fight um that context to me it it's it's not fully Habib's 
responsibility, I think. I think that Conor McGregor played a huge part in that debacle. The UFC played a huge part, specifically Dana White, and we, the fans and media, played a huge part in that as well. The fans and media for supporting the subtle racism that Dana White has exhibited. And I'm going to cite a bunch of different examples of favoritism. Uh, that have to do with people of color and his his mom perceiving his preference for white people, you know, and it's like, and it ties into this whole Donald Trump vibe, you know, and also coincidentally, Dana Dana White is this Donald Trump supporter on UFC Fight Pass. There's a uh, short documentary piece about Donald Trump's involvement in combat sports, which, you know, makes me sick to my stomach to think about that. A guy like him, his involvement in, in a sport and a lifestyle that I find that I hold dear, you know, that, and I, we all know that Donald Trump's not a martial artist and could give two shits about any of this stuff aside from making money. And I guess money is at the root of all this. And I'm not saying, Hey man, you know, you have the right to make money. You have the right to promote these fights, but is it really worth stepping over these lines and being using racism and xenophobia, you know, anti-religious sentiments just to promote a fight, just to get a couple bucks more. And I just, I find that disgusting to me, you know, and um, it's just, it makes me sad because I love the sport so much. And I do not like, you know, we, we've just now seen the sport edging its way towards respectability in the greater sports world and now to have something like this happen right before the UFC is about to get on ESPN in the wake of USP of um in the wake of MMA being legalized in New York state all this happens now you know there's been a big uproar about Habib and you know this this melee that you know resulted but no one was actually hurt i mean Habib leapt out of the cage. You know, he made aggressive motions toward one of uh, McGregor's teammates, but the whole thing was broken up. No one was hurt. No one was even touched. You know, needless to say, these guys are, you know, the the teammate he went after is a professional fighter in Bellator. And, um, you know, I'm not too worried about him. It's not a civilian. He's not some random guy, you know, working in an office who's out of shape and doesn't know how to fight. So it's... He's not a civilian, you know, so he could take care of himself. But that doesn't excuse assault. Anyway, people are harping on this. They're talking, they, they withheld Habib's uh, purse for the night. I don't know if, at this point, I'm assuming he got paid. There's, there was talk of his visa issues possibly resulting and a suspension, you know, and, uh, you know, all these sorts of, uh, you know, punishments for this behavior. Now, I like to bring to attention that just a, just a few short months ago, Conor McGregor, at an event that he wasn't even fighting at in New York City in Brooklyn, showed up and threw a dolly at a bus full of UFC fighters and crew, damaged property, assaulted people, injured people, injured fighters, fighters that were scheduled to fight at that event had to had to be taken off the card because of injuries that they sustained from Conor McGregor, okay? You know, damaged property, all this sort of stuff. 
um, almost nothing happened to him. He wasn't suspended. His infraction was not, he's on, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, there, there's definitely financial ramifications for this, like settlements with uh, the, the company that owns the bus, the fighters that missed out on their purses, injuries. Like, I'm sure he paid quite a bit of money for this, but his ability to make money was not affected. You know, he, his licensing wasn't, you know, messed with. He still has a, you know, license to fight. He can still get a visa. Uh, this assault that he did was reduced somehow uh, to a non-felony, I guess. And he's allowed in the country again. Back when Conor McGregor was contesting for the featherweight title, um, I forgot who he, you know, just, I'm just doing this off the top of my head, but the fight that he fought, I believe it was against Chad Mendez, which secured his title shot against Jose Aldo several years ago. During that fight, when he won, he jumped over the fence and got in Jose Aldo's face. Very similar to the way he, uh, Habib Nurmagomedov did that to uh, one of McGregor's teammates. You know, security was there. Nobody was touched. Nothing happened. Not a, th- not a thing. No... You know, no consequences were, were, McGregor had no consequences to face for that. Um, in the last year or two, Conor McGregor showed up at a Bellator event. One of his teammates was fighting. I can't remember the guy's name. McGregor jumped over the, jumped into the cage and pushed Mark Goddard, who was a referee, was a you know, very fine referee for, the, for several organizations. Pushing someone is assault. Nothing happened to Conor McGregor. Not a thing. Now, you know, this there's a I, this is my opinion. I don't know what the deal is. I you know I I love MMA. I think that if you are training and you go to an MMA academy or any type of martial arts academy, and you are have some sort of racist feelings, that you just can't exist in that world as a participant because you're in contact with so many different cultures, so many different types of people from all over the world, different religions, different races, different types of people, different walks of life, all kinds of people all together on the mat training together that you cannot possibly have feelings like that. It's only people on the outside that can see this, you know, that aren't participants, you know, that buy into this whole racist ideology. But, you know, hey, the proof is one more the next morning after this fight, when I felt like Habib was being unjustly dealt with by the UFC, I'm like, well, Dana White, hmm, people have accused him of being racist. Let me think about this. Number one, he supports Donald Trump, which I think is fucking weak and lame and completely idiotic. But he does backs him. Um, You know, McGregor, his career was very carefully orchestrated with the right fights at the right times. You know, he caught a lot of these guys like at the end of their career, such as Jose Aldo, um, you know, so he can be the champ in two divisions. When McGregor was allowed to fight Floyd, uh, Floyd Mayweather, there was a lot of racial slurs being bandied about during that as well. Um, 
Dana White and his is very hard on a lot of the champs that are, you know, like the black champs, like Tyron Woodley, um, Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson was poised to break a record of consecutive title defenses. And because the TJ Dillashaw, Cody Garbrandt fight, you know, there was an injury sort of fell apart. He was trying to force TJ, um, trying to force Demetrius Johnson into fighting some kind of proposed super fight against uh, TJ Dillashaw. And when Demetrius was like, Hey, I want to stay down here at 125 and break this record instead of going up to 135 or have TJ come down to a weight class that he's never fought at before, a weight that he's never made in competition. So I'd rather just do this and then we'll talk, you know, because uh, Demetrius Johnson didn't execute the plan that White had set up for him. Dana White threatened to shut down the entire division and sell it to Bellator or something like that. And, um, I just find that to be really, you know, tasteless and, you know. I mean, I think Demetrius Johnson is an asset to the company. I think that you should let that guy, I mean, he's no longer champ, but at, during his reign as champion, he did a lot of great things for the sport. You know, great, you know, sure. His whole thing was, well, you're not a draw. You don't get the pay-per-views. But, you know, they, they should just be, thankful for the fact that they have a guy like that as part of the company who has been able to put together this like incredible string of title defenses tyron woodley welterweight champion has always been um accused of boring fights you know another gentleman of color another guy that's on the shit list of dana white and forced you know i mean i think that uh you know, and originally I was like, man, people are just being a little sensitive about this stuff. But then as I start looking at these patterns, I start believing it that, um, you know, he was injured. Tyron Woodley was injured. And right away they went for interim, interim title. We got to make an interim title. Meanwhile, Conor McGregor was absent from competition for almost two years before they stripped him of his title. Woodley was like, I think inactive for eight or nine months so okay we have to make an interim champ so they fabricated this title they put cody uh, colby covington against rafael dos Anjos, who's actually relatively new to the welterweight division he just recently came up from lightweight in this fight that from which the winner was going to emerge as the interim champion champion of the welterweight division so Colby Covington was victorious. He won a decision. Another pro-Trump douchebag who likes to stoke the flames of racism and xenophobia, right in line with the ideology that Dana White has. So they gave him this belt. And then, and this is the thing that actually I find really funny. Darren Till, a fine kickboxer, once again, in an in a attempt to sort of, I guess, recreate the... Conor McGregor ascent to power they were wanted to bring Darren Till along a little faster than they think that they should have so they took the belt away from Colby placed Darren Till in title contention and Darren Till was handily dispatched by Tyron Woodley so in my opinion 
the biggest culprit to the saga of Conor McGregor is Dana White bringing this guy along. You know, I'm not saying, and, and the media plays a big part in this too, by not calling him out on all this off color bullshit that's been going on. You know, he gets to break laws in this country. He's not, he's from Ireland. He's not a citizen of the United States, yet he comes here, breaks all these laws, endangers people, and does not have to suffer any repercussions. He's a guest in this country, yet nothing happens to him. And I see double standard right there, especially, I mean, I'm interested to see what happens to Habib over the next couple of weeks, what sort of penalty he gets. To add insult to injury, McGregor is calling for an immediate rematch, which, uh, I mean, the dude was submitted in the fourth round and dominated in the fight. Now, let's think about rematches here, which I'm sure that everyone who has ever lost a fight wishes that they could have another shot at that same guy. You know, I mean, Conor McGregor was not even champion when he fought Habib Nurmagomedov. He was number number one contender. So why should he get an immediate rematch against the champ? I mean, Habib just did what he does. He's undefeated. He went in there, he won. Let's move on. I don't know if, I mean, why would we even want to see that again? I mean, I'm just going to break it down before the submission in the fourth round. Round number one, 10-9, Habib. Round number two, 10-8 to Habib. Dominating. He he dropped him with an overhand right. Round three, debatably, could have gone to Conor McGregor, 10-9. But a lot of people, a lot of experts out there, and I tend to agree with these people, think that Habib might have taken the third round off, which in a long, protracted fight like this, five rounds, so oftentimes if someone's ahead on the scorecards and they're feeling fatigued, they might take a round off to conserve their energy. This happens in boxing all the time. If there's like a 12, you know, boxing, you got 12 rounds for, you know, yeah, that's a long time to fight. You know, dudes take, take rounds off, you know, save their conserve. They manage their energy differently. So I think arguably that's what Habib might've been doing. But, um, so how does he call for a, rematch immediately anyway i don't know who's left listening at this point you know maybe there's one or two guys out there that like mma they're still listening to this podcast but um that's why i put this at the end the voting stuff's important um this is important only because i feel that this is a a time for people to really check themselves you know i mean i've seen it on a way more microscopic level. And I mean, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are involved in metal and the metal scene. And you've seen, um, you know, people calling out various black metal bands for being racist and all this other stuff and uh, crossing lines and all this other stuff. So, I mean, using that microcosm and applying that logic to the bigger picture of MMA, you can say that Conor McGregor has been violating the same ideologies that these black metal bands have been violating within the metal scene. So more people in the media should be calling him out. More fans should be responding to this in, in a way that, you know, sort of puts him in check. So, I mean, all the money that he has is from us fans. It's because we support this. 
I mean, I don't support McGregor, but I watch his fights. When every time I buy a pay-per-view, some small percentage of whatever I, if he fought on that card, that goes into his account eventually. Somehow, that energy transfer goes on. So, I mean, I really, I'm interested to see how this all plays out over the next few months and what happens. And, uh, you know, my uh, once ideal, idealistic uh, view of Dana White has been changing over the years. Um, you know, back in 2005, I thought Dana White was the coolest dude around, man. He was like the leader of this awesome, you know, sport, you know, this promotion and one of my favorite sports. You know, he had this like sort of maverick, like, you know, persona. But as time goes on, I just see him as just another fucking white guy, man. And it sucks. You know, it's heartbreaking. So I'm not going to take much more of you guys' time. I appreciate you guys listening. And um, you're going to be uh, getting back on track with this. Uh, I hope everyone's having a good autumn. Halloween's coming up. It's my favorite time of year. And um, yeah, man, I'll see you guys out there. Take care. <laughs>